Good morning. Welcome to Bible class from St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere. We're gathered together in the gymnasium, properly socially distanced in order to study God's Word. And we welcome those of you who are also socially distancing appropriately in your homes, listening on KFUO radio. The lesson that we're going to be looking at today is Romans chapter 6, the second part. As you remember last week and for the weeks prior, uh, Pastor Smith has been talking to us about baptism and this section of Romans chapter 6 being the longest excursion in all of Scripture on the doctrines regarding holy baptism. Would you join me in, in a word of prayer? We give thanks to you, our Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, for the blessings of baptism that are ours today and every day. In baptism, we have been given the assurance of your love, your forgiveness of all our sins, a share in the life and death and resurrection of our Savior Jesus, and confidence as we start this day and every day, assured that we are your beloved children. We are dearly loved. We are members of your family and so today, Lord, as your children, we cry out, pour out your Spirit upon us, that we might read, mark, learn, inwardly digest this, your word of truth, which is before us today. We pray these and all things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Romans chapter 6 begins with these words, What then shall we say? It's starting a, a new section of his letter, and here he's describing the new life that we enjoy as baptized people of God. And he says very plainly in the words before, in baptism we have died with Christ. We have been buried with Christ. We're now raised to life in Christ. We're free from sin in Christ. Baptism has been called a blessed drowning. I want you to picture that for a moment in your mind, and especially if you think of it in terms of immersion. Method of baptism is not important, but, but for the imagery here, think of immersion. And in that moment of holy baptism, the child is pushed down all the way under the water and drowns and dies. And then up from the water rises this new child of God. A truly blessed drowning. And that marks the beginning of a whole new life for us. We are no longer slaves to our sinful nature. This week, my wife and I got our first COVID vaccine. We've been waiting and waiting, and finally the opportunity came and we took it. And you know, as, as I've seen people over the, the internet talking about the vaccine and what it meant to them, people have left those places in tears because of the life-changing things that happen. I was talking to one of the professors at the seminary this week, an older gentleman, and he said, this shot changes everything. It changes your outlook on life. It fills you with hope with the expectation that things are someday going to go back to normal, that we can travel once again, 
that we can party once again, that we can hold our grandchildren once again. My favorite line all week long has been, I'm feeling 50% invincible now. Which is kind of a stupid comment, because either you are or you aren't invincible. But because I've had the first round, I'm 50% invincible. Think of holy baptism in those terms. I have been baptized into Christ Jesus. Into his death, into his resurrection, and now it has changed everything for me. It has changed my whole outlook on life. I am no longer a slave to sin. I am no longer bound by death. I am a beloved child of God. The future is opening up before me. St. Paul wrote in verse 11, Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's what baptism means for us. It changes everything. And so the issue that we're going to take up today is, how do we now live this new life? How how do we respond to all that God has done for us as baptized Christians? Scholars like to debate how to divide this chapter. And those of you who have the English Standard Version may recognize that verses 12 through 15 are included in the first part of the chapter. Other scholars say, no, it's actually the start of a a new section. They mark mark the the changes in, in grammar particularly that Paul makes at this point. It's really kind of a hinge and it doesn't matter how you divide the chapter. But notice that Things change in the section from the active to the passive. I'm sorry, from the passive to the active voice. In the words before, it says, We have been united with Christ. We have been raised with Christ. We have been baptized into Christ. It's all God's doing, and we passively receive all that God has done for us. But now a change begins. There are some imperatives, some commands. And there are some indicatives. This is the way it is for you now. And so what St. Paul is changing here from, from the old doctrinal position, here is where we stand saying, here is how you now live. Here, here is what it means to be a Christian. And here are directions for your new life. Notice that there's also a change from the second person plural, I'm sorry, from the first person plural to the second person plural. In the section above this, it's, it's always we. We have been, we have been, we have been. And now we hear a lot of you. And this is a plural you. And so he's talking it to y'all, as the Texans like to say. So verse 11 begins. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the first command, the first imperative in the entire book of Romans. 
And what follows are what sometimes are called gospel imperatives, which really don't make any sense if you think about it. The gospel tells us what our Savior has done for us. It's the good news of God's love and forgiveness, and yet here are imperatives telling us what we should be doing. These shoulds, these imperatives, are all motivated by the gospel. It's as if he's saying, because you are now a baptized child of God, you must. You just have to. It's part of being a Christian. You must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus because you're baptized. And so we take up the lesson at verse 12. He says, let not, better translation might be, do not let sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Begins once again with one of those therefores. And it's like he's saying, you got all this down, therefore, now, here's what you're supposed to do with it. What does it mean for you? The point is, don't let sin regain its dominance. Don't let sin continue to control you. You've been set free in baptism. And so here begins these four imperatives, these commands. Number one, do not let sin reign. Do not let sin, and here it's a, an ongoing action, do not let sin continually reign or rule in your mortal body. We're talking about your whole being here. Don't let sin take control to make you obey its passions. Because that's going to cause you to respond and give in to and knuckle down to and bow before its desires. A second negative. Do not continually present do not stand before, do not put yourself at the disposal of, don't let your members, your body parts, your limbs, your natural abilities become instruments or tools or weapons of righteousness. The images of, of a person going to stand before the king and presenting himself there and bowing down before that king and giving in, yielding, pledging allegiance to the king. And he's saying, don't bow down. Don't put yourself at the disposal of, don't let sin reign in your bodies and don't offer your body parts for its control. Christians are constantly to resist sin. You know, we, we sometimes like to think that because, because we're such good Christians, we're somehow exempt 
from temptation. We can handle anything the devil, the world, our flesh throws at us because we're Christians. We don't have to worry about temptation to sin. Martin Luther said that temptation's always going to come. Like birds flying over your head. You can't keep them from doing that, but you can keep the birds from making a nest in your hair. Temptation to sin is always going to be circling around. But as Christians, you don't have to give in to it. Satan is constantly trying to seek control, regain control over you. So you need to realize that you are in a spiritual battle that takes place every day. I see this on the seminary grounds all the time, and I'm counseling with the young men and women, talking about the spiritual battle that they endure. And there are crazy things that happen to seminarians that are just beyond our imagination. Students will come and on the way their truck will be stolen and everything they possess. Is that just a coincidence or is that Satan trying to keep that student from coming to the seminary? Satan, uh, Satan is working on students. Two common complaints I hear. One is that I'm too sinful to be at the seminary. And Satan just keeps throwing that in the seminarian's face. You don't belong here. You're not as pious and holy as all those other students that are here. You need to drop out and go home and become a plumber instead. Or the other is, you're just too stupid. Your grades are important, and you aren't going to cut it. And these are students with 3.5, four-point averages, but Satan is always nagging at them. You're not smart enough to ever become a pastor. Go home and do something else. Satan is on that campus, and there is a, a, a mark, a, a target on the back of every student preparing become a professional church worker. But it's not just at the seminary. It's in your home. It's here in the church. It's out of the shopping center. Everywhere you go, Satan is trying to regain control over you. St. Paul is saying, resist him. Don't give in to him. Fight the spiritual battle every day. How do we do that? How, how can we resist? Small Catechism says, what does such baptism with water indicate? It indicates that the old Adam and us should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires. And that a new man daily emerge and rise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. What Luther is trying to explain to us is that this is a daily battle. And baptism is the weapon that we need to fight that good fight. And every day we go into that battle with the assurance that we are baptized. You know, Martin Luther fought this fight all the time. 
When he was in the Wartburg, for example, they claimed that as he was translating the New Testament, he was doing everything in his power to bring the Word of God to people in their own language, and Satan was constantly there harassing him, and he picked up an inkwell. And he threw it at the wall. He threw it at Satan because it was just that real for him. He kept crying out throughout his life whenever he went into this battle, I am baptized. That hymn that we, we sing all the time here at St. Paul's, God's own child, I'll gladly say it. And the, the refrain keeps coming back again, I'm baptized. I'm baptized, and that's what we need to do every day as we fight this spiritual battle that we're in. I'm baptized. The old Adam in me has drowned. And every day I return to that drowning through contrition, through deep sorrow on account of my sins. And every day I let that new man rise in faith in repentance, in the assurance that I am God's own child, and I'll gladly say it, I'm baptized. And so that's the point that Paul is making here. Daily return to your baptism. Daily return to this new spiritual life, to faith, to live a life worthy of your calling, to produce those good works. Then we come to verse 13, and it's a but. But instead, the two negative things, don't let sin reign, don't let it take control of your body, but, and here are the two positive imperatives that, that follow, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and present your members as instruments as tools, as weapons for righteousness. Your body parts. Present them to God. Take with you as you go to stand before you, your God everything you've got and put it at His disposal. All of your talents, all of your abilities. The imagery is also like that of the Old Testament sacrifices. What did God require of people when they brought their sacrifices? Was it the defective animals? Was it the scrawniest, the puniest? When you bring your very best and you offer the very best parts of what you've got to God. One of our favorite hymns, Take my life and let it be, consecrated Lord to Thee. And it goes on to talk about all of our body parts. And we're saying to God, here's what we have to offer. This is what we're presenting to you in response to all that you've done for us. Verse 14 continues, For sin will not have dominion. Sin will not rule over you. Sin will not control you. Sin will not be your master since you're not under the law. You're no longer obligated to it. Remember he said, you've died to the law. And so the law can't produce this new life. The law doesn't help you in any way to to overcome Satan's temptations. It's not about you being good enough to resist him on your own. You can't do it. 
And you can't produce the good works. You died to the law. But you and I live under grace. And that results in righteousness and freedom. Here is the gospel. And it's the gospel that motivates us in our new lives. It's it's our response to all that God has done for us. Why should we give him our lives? Why should we give him our very best? Why should we give dedicate our, our entire lives to him? It's a response to all that he has done for us. Done in, in gratitude. Done in Christian stewardship. And so Paul is making this image. And you go before God each and every day, you can take Him the very best that you have to offer. You can make every day a special day because you're baptized. Anybody care to comment on that at all? We don't think about the daily battle that we do with Satan. And if it happens at the seminary, it happens in all of our lives too. It's a daily spiritual battle. Absolutely. So, Paul begins to lay out next uh, an either-or. And what he basically is saying is, you're going to be slave, you're going to be dominated and controlled by either-or. You're either going to be controlled by by your sin and your natural inclinations, your flesh, or you're going to be controlled by the Holy Spirit who is now at work in you. Now, Jesus basically said the same thing in Matthew uh, 6, verse 24. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money in that particular instance. Everybody is a slave. Everybody is controlled by. Everybody is in, under the dominion of someone or something. And so as we begin the, the next part of this, I want you to think about who is it that you are really a slave to? Who do you serve? And that's a question I think we, we need to ask every day. Am I a, a slave to... My career, to the point that I can ignore everything else and my career is the highest good? Or what about money? Is that the highest good? Is that what I work for? Is that what drives me each and every day? What about power, control over other people? Or prestige? Is it all about what other people think of me? i got to look good out there in front of everybody else. Is that what's most important to you? What about your desires? What about lust? Always out there. In everything we, we see in the media, everything we listen to, lust driving you? Or is it greed? Or envy that drives brother against brother over what one has and the other doesn't have? Or could it be your fears? Are you a slave to your fears? Do your fears control you? 
The older you get, the more aches and pains you got, the more potential for getting really sick, hurting yourself, falling down. Is that what drives you? You're going to be a slave to something. What is it that you are a slave to? Let's look at verses 15 and following. What then? Another one of those. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves, stand before anyone as obedient slaves, you're a slave to the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, or of obedience which leads to righteousness. Here's another one of those silly rhetorical questions. And St. Paul really isn't looking for an answer. This is like the beginning of chapter 6, verse 1. He begins, what then? He said the same thing in in chapters 3 and 4. What's your reaction to this? Should we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? There's an important distinction there. Hear what he said? We're not under the law, but we're under grace. We live in a state of grace. I want you to think about how important that is. Because you are baptized, you live in this constant state of God's grace. I've had Christian people come to me and say, Pastor, if if I was at the casino gambling, and I would hit it big and have a heart attack and die, would I go to hell? Or, Pastor, if I was driving in the car and somebody cut me off and the last words out of my mouth were, would, would God hold that against me? Would I go to hell because I couldn't repent of that last sin? And the answer is no. Remember, because you are baptized, you live in this constant state of grace. Yes, you will fall to sin. But as a baptized child of God, you're covered by the grace of God. So, if that's the case, Why not just sin? Why not take advantage of that? Why not do whatever we want to do because we live in this state of grace? Some people call that cheap grace. It's taking advantage of God's grace. And that seems to be the Romans' problem here. It was all about libertarianism. And we do the same thing. We're going to push the envelope to see just how far we can go until God really gets ticked at us. Did you see the article yesterday on KMOV? A lady had been arrested for hiring three men to murder her mother-in-law. That in itself says something. There's a problem within that family. But... And when the, they, the prosecutor said, she told them, I'm a Christian, and I know it's wrong, but I can always go to God for forgiveness. 
Wow, what a witness to the world about what it means to be a Christian on the one hand, and what an abuse of God's grace on the other hand. I can, because I'm a Christian, because Jesus died for me, I can now go and live as I please? That's what's called cheap grace. And that's what Paul is really hammering at in this section. And so he asks this question, should we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? And his answer is, by no means, no way, no how, we can't remain in our sin. Then verse 16, don't you understand? Don't you get it yet? If you present yourself, if you stand before and put yourself at the disposal as a slave to anyone, you are a slave to the one you obey. And that, whatever it is, controls you and commands you and demands your worship and your perfect obedience. But once again, he's making the point, everyone has a master. It's one or the other. Either you're a slave to sin, and that leads to death, or you're a slave to obedience, responsible to God, which leads to righteousness. So he's basically asking, why would anyone who has been set free from sin let himself fall back into slavery once again? And that's just what you're doing. Every time you offer yourself as a slave to sin, you're falling back into slavery. So when your fears get the best of you, you become a slave to your fears. When your envy gets the best of you, you become a slave once again to sin. When when the money is controlling you, you become a slave to sin. And why would anyone who's been redeemed by Christ Jesus want to do that? While he asks this rhetorical question, he comes with a strong, by no means, he's just saying, How silly can you possibly be letting yourself become a slave to sin once again? On the other hand, if you're a slave to obedience, if you become responsive to God, that's going to lead to righteousness. As the baptized people of God, you're free from the law and its coercion, but now offer yourselves, your entire body, as a slave in obedience to God. Listen to his word. Respond to the word. Live that righteous, holy life that God has called you to because you're baptized. In verses 17 and 18, he kind of gives one of those before and after kind of things. What he's saying is, there are times we all sin. You used to be a slave to sin. You're not a slave to sin anymore. You can change who the master is here. Verse 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. 
and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. It begins with the words, thanks be to God. This this new life, it's all God's doing, but this new life on our part is just a response of gratitude to all that God has done for us. You were slaves to sin in the past. You were slaves to sin by very nature. You used to put yourself at the disposal of sin. You used to let sin control you. But God has set you free. And now you've become obedient by the Holy Spirit at work within you. You have listened. You've responded in the right way. And notice he says, from the heart. We would probably say something like, from the very bottom of your heart. From the depth of your being. You've responded to God in an appropriate way. You've responded to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Smith was talking about the word typos type. That's the word translated standard here. You've, you've responded to the type of teaching that was taught to you. When, when you were preparing for holy baptism, and he's addressing adults here, obviously, and you went through this period of instruction, the doctrine of the church was passed on to you, generation to generation, and now it's... And you, you were committed, you were entrusted to this sound doctrine. And now you live according to it. Verse 18, And having been set free... After being set free, again, it's one of those passives, you didn't do it, God did. Having been set free from sin, you become a slave of righteousness. And God did it for you. And now you're owned and controlled and committed and obedient because you belong to God. And so... It's all gratitude. Thanks be to God. It's, it's His doing. It's the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word and Sacrament. You know, <clears throat> we in the church often use the expression, the means of grace. And I'm not sure that we always understand what, what, the mean, what that means, what the means means. Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago. He rose again from the dead on the third day, 2,000 years ago. And here we are today, and, and what is it that connects us with that? How is it that we get the benefits of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago? It's not just a history lesson. There is something that needs to connect us with those historic events years ago. And we say that baptism connects us to Jesus. It's the means of grace. We died with Christ, we rose with Christ. It's the conduit, the means that connects us to Jesus. The Lord's Supper is obviously a means of grace. It's the way in which a body and blood of Jesus, given and shed 2,000 years ago, becomes our own. It, it delivers to us what Jesus earned. 
the forgiveness of sins and life and salvation. The Word of God, as we read and study it, is, is a means of grace for it. It's, it's there that the Spirit works connecting us to the Lord Jesus. What Paul is saying here, thanks be to God, we have these means of grace. We have been connected with the Lord Jesus. It's all God's doing. He's given us the new life. Maybe I'll pause. Any thoughts on this section, where Paul's going with this argument? Not seeing any. Let's go on to verse 19 and... and, um, Just verse 19. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. I speak to you in human terms. He, at this point, he's not denying that he's being inspired by God to write this. What he's saying is, this is the way that people talk in daily life. Here's a, a useful illustration. I'm trying to make this just as plain and clear to you as I possibly can. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Because of the weakness of your flesh. Because you're corruptible. You're still subject to all these desires. You're blind to the truth. And now here comes the Christian paradox. You're slaves, and yet you're the freest of all people. You're saints, but you're still sinners. How can that possibly be? How is a person free and enslaved at the same time. And the imagery is often misunderstood. What he's saying is, just as you were, or you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, and lawlessness leads to more lawlessness, and more and more lawlessness, and more and more sin, that's the way you used to be when you stood before sin and offered everything to him, to it, But now you're slaves to righteousness. You've been made holy. You've been connected to the Lord Jesus. And that leads to holy, sanctified living. You're a slave to righteousness. And if you go back to Romans 1, verse 1, how did Paul introduce himself to the Romans? as a slave of Christ Jesus. That's who you are. You're you're under the control of the king. Again, remember, you're slave to one or the other. There isn't any neutrality here. You can't serve two masters. Either you're going to serve sin or you're going to serve righteousness. And so verses 20 through 22... For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things for which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin, you've become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification 
and its end is eternal life. When you were slaves to sin, while you were a slave to sin, as long as you were a slave to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You were so independent, so separated from God, so separated from righteousness, so separated from the law, that you were free to, to do whatever you pleased with no pains of conscience whatsoever. Wow, that sounds so appealing to our old sinful nature, doesn't it? Free to, to do whatever we want to do. Now, sometimes I watch the news and I, I think, how could somebody have done that? Don't, don't they have any conscience at all? Where is, where is any sense of decency? Any sense of right and wrong? The unbelievers are free from that. He says, that's the way you used to be. You were free. You, you lived as you pleased. And that's so appealing to our sinful nature as we go about our battle every day. Paul's answer says, what fruit were you getting at that time? It's kind of like Dr. Phil asking, how'd that work for you? When you, you thought you were free to live as you please, how'd that work for you? You know it didn't work at all. And now you're ashamed of the way you used to live. Your conscience nags at you because you're not that way anymore. And you realize how foolish it was because the way you used to live leads to death. It's just that simple. But verse 22 says, But now, having been set free from sin, having be become a slave to God, recognize it. This isn't your doing. You, you didn't do it. You've become a slave. God has, has claimed you. God has bought you. God has redeemed you. It cost God dearly for all of this to happen. He sent His Son to die on a cross for you. Now you've become a slave to God. And what you're getting for the way that you live this way that leads to sanctification, you get all the benefits. All that Jesus did belongs to you. And the end of it all is eternal life. So Paul lays these either-ors out before us and says, here's two alternatives. Isn't the answer obvious? You want to be a slave to sin all your life? You want to be a slave to righteousness? You want to face a guilty conscience or do you want to be free from that? You want death or do you want life? You're a baptized child of God. God has done it all for you. Now live. Overcome. Fight the good fight. Do that daily battle. Because you're presenting yourself to God. And then comes one of the most famous passages of all, verse 23, Romans 6. We all know it. The wages of sin is death. 
But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's kind of a shift of imagery here from the, the slavery to, uh, to the business world or, or even to uh, the military. Here are the wages. And, and the word he uses here is um, the military pay. Here's, here's what the service man or woman gets. The wages that, that we work for give us what we work for. And the, the irony is, all of our lives we work for wages, our, our salary, our payment. We look forward to that, that payday that comes each year. Or the day when the Social Security check arrives. Wow! It, it's something we look forward to and hope for and long for. Our wages. But he's saying, if you're a slave to sin, you get your wages. And the wages that you get is death. What an irony. We work all our lives for death. But then he flips once again and he says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And as a baptized child of God, you've been connected to him. You've died with him. You've risen with him. You live with him. What you get from God isn't your wages. You don't earn this. It's a gift. In Christ Jesus, your Savior. You're baptized. Every day, keep reminding yourself that. I'm baptized. I'm baptized. And it changes your outlook on everything, even more than the COVID shot. You're baptized. There's a hope. There's a future. There's joy ahead. There's life. You're baptized. Any thoughts? Questions? You're too easy. <laughs> Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Go in peace. You're baptized. <laughs>